you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to Bare Naked Money, the next edition. Today we're going to get into something that's uh, pretty topical, something that uh, is a part of a regular conversation we have with our clients, and something that's also very topical in, in the media right now. Well, who am I kidding? This is always topical. Real estate. There's so many different ways to look at it. Trends are so important, and it seems to be super red hot right now. So let's get into it and see if we can uh, help you understand things a little bit better. So Josh, why don't I throw it to you? And you can make a, maybe a few observations at a pretty high level with regards to some of the data that we're seeing. Yeah, Colin. So thanks for the intro there. As I think everybody right across Canada knows right now, and actually in a lot of parts of the world, real estate is just booming. And I think this is the first time anyway for me in the last, uh, last several years where I can really look right across the country to every one of our clients, everybody that lives in Canada and say, what's going on in your market? And everybody's like, well, real estate's way up. Real estate's booming. Real estate's crazy. Either I can't find a place to buy, I'm looking desperately, I can't find one to buy at a reasonable price, or, oh, I'm uh, looking to sell my place and, and I'm uh, I'm breaking the bank because, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's looking great for some of the, the sellers that are out there. And this is kind of continuing a trend that we've been seeing over the last couple decades where Canada as a whole, when you look at the average, is just booming from a real estate perspective. And I saw some charts recently that compared it to other countries, other major industrialized countries, and Canada is far and above a lot of those other countries, whether it's UK, US, other countries in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. So we've seen this trend. We've seen this trend for a while, but now it seems to be kind of coming to a head uh, and, and going faster than it's ever been in terms of some of those, those, those rapid uh, price rises. And I think the first time since COVID, uh, what we were seeing for the first time is that some of these sort of non-urban areas, the, the sprawl is sort of leading the charge, whether it's just outside of these urban areas, uh, or more rural areas, so spilling from the suburbs to the uh, the rural areas. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this, and we can kind of dive into some of these, but why don't you take us through a few of your observations for what you're seeing out there in terms of what's actually driving this trend? Well, as a member of this team who doesn't live in Toronto, uh, I can attest that areas outside of Toronto are seeing the same thing. Uh, Nova Scotia is just off the charts. Halifax proper is ridiculous to getting... 9, 10, 12, 15 competing offers on one property. It's selling 50% over market in some cases. You know, uh, it's a little scary, you know, coming from the Maritimes to see that kind of thing happen because it is really unprecedented in my lifetime that we've had that kind of interest from literally all over the world, people trying to get to Nova Scotia. And, you know, we've got clients who had plans about, you know, maybe liquidating property at a certain time or buying property at a certain time. And this is the kind of event that pushes plants. Now, you know, we've got some people, myself included, who's considering selling a property in the not too distant future going, well, should I hurry my plans? Does that make any sense right now? And, you know, that's a legit question. You know, we've also got people who were expecting to be buying properties right now and they're now going, should I wait? You know, because things are awful. I'm going to be making some pretty big compromises potentially here. 
uh, on the value that I'm going to get on picking up the property. So, you know, again, this is one of those events that can push your planning around a little bit, and rightfully so. Like, don't, this is not something to be ignored. This is of a magnitude that matters. You know, if you're going to have to pay 20, 30% more for a property right now, that changes your thinking, that changes your timeline. Now, if you're going to own it for 20 or 30 years, maybe it doesn't matter as much. But if you think it's going to be something you want to liquidate in the next few years, maybe you've got to think a little bit harder. Maybe those, you know, three, five-year time horizons are a little scarier than they once were. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of angst out there now, but I tell you, it's getting overridden by just pure mania in, in, in many respects. Um, so, yeah, so I think this is a truly a cross-Canada problem, um, no, matter where, no matter what side of the desk you're sitting on. So why don't we get into some of the reasons behind it, Josh? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, well, <laughs> elephant in the room, right? I, I think everybody knows one of the main reasons is COVID things going on. We have a global pandemic. And what we saw early on was the market kind of froze because people didn't know what the hell to do. People kind of go see places. So, you know, there was an immediate kind of, okay, let's pause for a second. Let's, let's see what's going on here. But you've seen things kind of spill over now and, and they're going great guns. So with COVID, I, I think one of the, the trends that I was talking about is, is really been driven by COVID and that's COVID is pushing people out of the urban areas. So you're seeing this, this spillover, this sprawl from core cities, maybe condo living to some of the more suburban, uh, you know, house, uh, low rise stuff or some of the more rural areas as well. Cause what we've seen over the last year, a lot of our jobs can be done remotely. You and I not in the same place right now doing this podcast. So we've all discovered, I think that we're a little bit more able to, to work outside of our, our office. And a lot of businesses have decided that, hey, my staff can work pretty effectively from home. Maybe I don't want to or need to pay $50 a square foot for an office building in downtown Toronto. So that is part of it for sure. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that if there's more than one member of the family who's got to work from home, your home's not as big as you thought it was. And maybe you're not as close to your family as you thought you were. You know, so, you know, you put two or three members of a family working from home, that house can get a lot smaller than it used to be uh, in a hurry. So there's a lot of pressure on, you know, hey, we need more space. And, you know, I think you went through a little bit of that, Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm sitting here in a two-bedroom uh, condo, and we converted our second bedroom to an office would have been pretty hard to convert our first bedroom to an office too. So fortunately, I've been able to go to the office most days, but I think your, your point is valid. People are are rethinking what they need from a place. I was just uh, looking at an Instagram post the other day and talking about how people, you know, more at the, the top, top level of the, uh, the income spectrum are looking for something where they have more leisure space or leisure activities that are doable from their, their home, their property. And this is outside of the realm of what most of the people listening to this podcast are looking for, but, you know, full, full size tennis courts, for example, pools, <laughs> you know, pools is maybe something that's a little bit more relatable to people because I know the pool guys are, are as busy as they've ever been putting in pools. You've seen the rental, the rental thing as well, people putting in back decks or renovating this or that or the other thing. So all of these things are, are, are kind of coming into this, uh, this real push for real estate and, and, and helping to drive up the demand, which in turn drives up prices. And when people start looking around and they go, well, 
what would it take for me to go to a bigger place? If I wanted to take on a bigger mortgage, what kind of house could I get? The other part of that equation, Josh, is interest rates. Yeah, and that's a huge part of the equation. Uh, and maybe the most important or primary part of the equation and primary reason we've seen real estate go up the way that it has, interest rates with the whole COVID situation have gone down. And that's pretty normal when you see a recession or, or some type of dip in, in markets and the economy, interest rates go down. But they already went down from such a low level and went to such a, a sort of a rock bottom level that that has made housing in some ways more affordable. Because if you're borrowing a large chunk of the purchase price, if interest rates go down, and I've seen interest rates or heard about interest rates as low as one and a half percent for a five year fixed rate mortgage. So that is really gonna make things a lot more affordable for people. And low interest rates means you can take on a larger mortgage and larger mortgage, more purchasing power. That means, hey, you can either bid up that property that you really want, or maybe look to a, another property a step higher. So that's a huge part of it. Yeah, and it's happening at a time when the boomers, maybe that were considering going into, you know, more of a, a concentrated living setting, whether that was assisted living or give up the big house to go to an apartment to reduce, you know, you know, the obligations of maintaining a property, those people are putting off their decision, again, for the reasons we talked about earlier, that, you know, the COVID's a thing. So I don't want to necessarily be getting on an elevator. I got this big property. I'll hang on to it for a little while longer until this thing settles down. So, you know, so that those people maybe have slowed down a little bit and other people are looking to get into those properties. So it's really created a confluence of, of events that's, that's put an immense amount of pressure on real estate in the short term. Yeah, you bring up boomers and I brought up interest rates and it's interesting how these two things kind of relate to each other as well because we have seen interest rates go down for the better part of 40 years now. And I don't think that can be ignored when we talk about and think about some of the experiences that people have had with real estate over that, that period of time. And the boomers are, you know, my parents, for example, they have experience with the interest rates in the 80s where people talk about double digit mortgage rates. And now today, talking about, like I said, potentially under 2%, well, that's gonna make a huge difference in affordability of a property. And that's part of the reason why we've seen sort of an uninterrupted increase in prices over that period of time. I think that has to has to factor into to what we're looking at here and when we're looking at, at our experience with real estate it has to give some context to what we're thinking about. And so this is one thing that I, I don't know if this is a misconception and misconception is the right word, but you will definitely have some sort of longer term experience with with owning a place and, and being in the real estate market. I hear my parents, my grandparents say, well, real estate always goes up over time. And I look at this and, and being a data person, I think, well, maybe there's a bit of a misconception there. So what's your experience? Been? Well, well my, my experience is terrible because, again, I was alive during that same time period as, as your parents. And we should stop you know, making reference to that. But, you know, we are looking at a period in time when you know, real estate's done very well. And so two things come into play. Number one, legitimately, it has. Number two, people will only share their highlight reel. So when people are telling a real estate story, they're always the biggest real estate stories. So you got something that's generally true, and then you get, a, and it's augmented by the fact people are sharing these anecdotal stories, which are even betterer. So now you've got, you know, basically a true concept that's getting blown a little bit out of proportion, 
and people are shutting down the analytical part of their brain a little bit saying real estate good real estate good real estate good and they run into the market now again if you're going to live in a place for 20 or 30 years maybe it doesn't matter a hill of beans you know maybe it'll just even itself out and all will be fine because again, you're not looking at liquidating it in the foreseeable future. It turns out that you did make the right decision. This is the place you're gonna raise a family. And again, if, if that's how it plays out, maybe this doesn't matter a hill of beans. But it's perhaps more risky now than it's been certainly in my lifetime because the smallest change in interest rates or you know any kind of personal interruption, again, there's two levels here. There's the macro level where interest rates may change. And that's you know a macro thing. And if that happens, yeah, your mortgage payment could go up and the value of your property could go down. And you could end up with a mortgage that's bigger than the, than the value of your property. You know, that can happen and that's kind of out of your hands. The other side of it is your personal circumstances can change. So you invest in real estate, which is not the most liquid investment in the world at all times. Right now, it tremendously is. But it's, it's difficult, can be difficult to get out of. It's costly to get out of. And it's not always convenient, you know, to make a change. In, in real estate. So I think the risk profile for somebody who's trying to get into a home right now is a little bit, sorry, I can't say a little bit dramatically, it's a lot dramatically different than what it turned out to have been 20 or 30 years ago. Now, if you go back 20 years ago, there was risks at that time as well, you know, and they had to be, you know, again, the decision making at that would have been different, but it's turned out really, really well. To look today, and say that in today's market with all of this froth that you know there's there's not going to be any kind of short-term peril here i think is overly optimistic and i think it's something that people really have to filter that information from your well-intentioned father who loves you more than all outdoors and would never steer you wrong who's telling you you absolutely have to have a house or you're worthless you know Dad, you know, thanks for all the encouragement, and everything, but maybe I'm 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 not going to go your way this time, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, what I'm kind of referring to is sort of the misconceptions. I don't want to call them myths because, like you said, there's a lot of truth to real estate does appreciate value over time. But there's a. Have you read Irrational Exuberance by Robert Schiller? Oh, a long time ago, but yes. Yeah. So, so that book's been out there for a while now, but. He has maybe one of the best real estate databases, long-term real estate, like we're talking hundreds of years uh, of any data set that I've seen. And there are a number of um, periods of time, decades long, where real estate in major cities, even across North America, has gone down for, for decades at a time. So to say that you know real estate always goes up, um, yeah, I mean, over very long periods of time, maybe over 100 years, real estate will go up. But... Uh, the point that you obviously or, or, or often make is that most people's time frame isn't 100 years long. So you can't necessarily rely on that, right? Yeah, in the long term, we're all dead. You know, and I've had situations in my career where people have been trapped in real estate either by owing more than it was worth or being just completely having no buyer for it. And, 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 and it's, we don't really have enough time to thoroughly go through it, but this is where we can probably introduce the idea of investing in real estate because there's many people who have their own property and are looking at investing in a property because they think that's the way to build wealth. And it has been, it has been a, a way to build wealth in the past. A couple of cautionary, everything we said earlier still holds. You know, if you've got a really long time horizon, that changes, you know, the risk profile. But I understand in the short term, there are a lot of risks because when you get in the rental market, you're not concerned about rental rates. You know, is there gonna be a lot of rental vacancies? Is there gonna be a building boom that kicks in after this that creates so much supply 
that in three or four years from now, all of a sudden we have an oversupply and there's pressure on rents or there's, there's, there's vacancies, you know, there's all kinds of things like that to factor in. But what I advise people who are considering investing in real estate on a couple of things, number one, make sure it's a reasonable percentage of your net worth. You don't want to be wake up one day and have 90% of your investable assets tied up in real estate. That's, there's just no, I can't defend that. I can't suggest that. I don't think it's a good idea. You know, number two, evaluate it as an investment. So if I'm going to bring an investment to a client and say, here, this is a good idea. You know, it does really, really well long-term. It's got no short-term liquidity and it's got some significant risks where it can go negative for extended periods of time. I'm going to expect that with normal assumptions, that pays me really well. You know, I want to see a really nice return up. I want to be compensated for the lack of liquidity. Because in the investment world, if you give up liquidity, you gain something. Don't get involved in real estate in, in ways that the terms work out that you're only seeing a nominal rate of return. Like if you're only going to see a 6 or 7% rate of return on something that has a risk profile that doesn't match up, keep looking. It's, there should be a reasonable trade-off between risk and return. And, you know, you need to look at your real estate investing that way. Again, your dad's well-intentioned. He does love you, but he may not have the macroeconomic sense necessary to adequately advise you in this regard. Yeah, there's so many things that go into trying to be an owner of real estate and a renter of real estate, right? And it's more than just what is my mortgage? What is my rent every month? And does that give me a positive rate of return or not? Because you got to factor in things like, maintenance on that property, repairs. Uh, vacancy, I think, is a big one that, that people don't factor in, right? It may be, at times, easy to, to rent out a place, but I can speak uh, from just the Toronto condo perspective, from what I heard anecdotally, it's a lot more difficult to rent out a Toronto condo 12 months ago than it had been in the past. And that's because people didn't want to be here. They didn't need to be here. If I can't walk the five minutes to work, because my office building is shut down. What's the point of living in downtown Toronto for whatever it is per square foot in, in, in terms of rent? So there's there's a lot of that that you have to factor in. And I think another thing that people often forget when they're, they're doing this calculation is the amount of time that you're actually going to commit to that building, to that, that property, right? You're going to need to either hire somebody to do a lot of work on sort of the management of that property, the marketing and, and that, or you're going to have to spend your own time on it. So there's a value for your own time. you got to factor that in somehow. Not easy to do, though. Well, no, and, and that goes right back to, again, we're kind of crossing the streams here. We're going back to the individual decision about do I rent or do I buy. You know, if you buy a house, you know, you're building equity in something like your father or your mother will, will tell you, right? But, you know, when you buy a home, well, there's property tax, and that money just goes out the window. You don't have anything to show for that there's normally an increase in utility costs over renting or owning a smaller property. So that's gotta be factored in. The maintenance of the property has gotta be factored in. There can be interest costs and mortgages. If you add up all of the money that you throw into the wind for owning a property and take a look at that number, in most cases, you're not too far off of what it would cost to rent a property that you would be happy living in. So for those who posit the idea that only stupid people rent, that's not true. In fact, I can categorically tell you right now, some of the people I consider the smartest around me, and including me, I consider me smart, are saying, maybe now's the time to rent for a little bit and let all this foolishness slow down. 
you know now that doesn't make it it's not a slam dunk it's not a for sure thing but it's certainly not a stupid thing so if anybody in your life is telling you you're stupid for either doing either thing here ignore them because they don't understand it you could win either way here but that's important you could win either way here don't don't think there's only one way to do this yeah it's funny you mentioned that because I floated the idea of potentially selling our place and renting a place to Heather. And I got, uh, I think, laughed out of the room on that one. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, per personal preference factors into this, too, I guess, is the point. What I was looking at and the reason I kind of floated this idea is the disparity between purchasing a place, the, the cost of purchasing a place, and, and the cost to rent a place today. Is, is pretty large from what I've been seeing out there in the data. And that's one way where you can kind of evaluate, like, you know, what's the market like today is you compare sort of a ratio of, of the purchase price to, to the rental price. And every neighborhood is going to be a little bit different and, and every neighborhood uh, is going to have its own history. So it's not like we can sit here and give you what the right ratio is. There's so many factors that are involved, but you can sort of take a step back and, and look at a place and say, well, okay, what would it cost me to get in there if I were to own it versus rent? And what are all some of the other great things that I could do with my money if I had a lower cost to rent than I did to own? And there are plenty of other good investment opportunities out there that, that may uh, sort of hit the mark for you and make you better off over the long term. But <laughs> it just uh, to kind of counteract my own point, I had one colleague uh, going about seven or eight years ago now, he was positive that the market was overvalued. And so him and his family were renting a place, renting a place in Toronto. And as far as I know, I haven't seen him in a, in a year or two, but he's still renting a place in Toronto. So it's really tough to time this type of thing. I don't think you or I are, are making the, uh, the argument today that real estate has to go down over the next year or two. That's, that's, that's not it at all. We're just not so sure that we'd be pounding the table to say it's going to go up from here. Well, that's just it. I mean, the best answers are often nuanced answers, and that's where we're here. But we've also become very bare naked in this moment because neither one of us is able to convince our spouse or significant other to take advantage of something that we as professionals see in the market. So to all of us out there who, who are counting us as really smart and influential, if you could call our wives and let them know how smart we are, that'd be great. It would help us both out when we go home at the end of the day and talk to our own families about our own personal finance. I'm glad we have the moral support of each other, at least, Colin, to, to help us through these dark times. You complete me, Josh. <laughs> That's right. So so you kind of touched on a little bit of this before, Colin, but really the whole purpose of this podcast and the whole reason we have these conversations is because people are asking us what they should do in their situation. And like I said, you hit a couple of those those key points at a high level. So maybe I'll just kind of throw them to you one by one. If you were already thinking of selling today or a year ago or whenever it was, what would what would you do today? Does this kind of give you a kick in the pants and say you should be going down this path or what do you think? Well, I think for sure I'd view it as an opportunity. Um, again, I would not hold out thinking that this is going to continue to get better. Um, but, you know, this is an opportunity. But it does put a little pressure on the other half of that equation, if I can extrapolate a little bit, because you all got to live somewhere. So I actually have a couple of friends who've sold their property and they're so excited. Then they went to look for a place to live. Now they're less excited. So, you know, make sure you have the whole equation. Just because you rush one side, you have to rush both sides and make sure that 
your eventualities are all accounted for. But yeah, if you were, or even if you were thinking maybe this summer's the time to do it or this fall's the time to do it, this is worthwhile, in my opinion, you know, to, to move up the time. Now, if you're sitting in a beautiful property on a lake and saying, I want one last summer to enjoy this, absolutely stop listening to us. I don't know why you're looking for the math. Math don't matter. You know, that, that, that's, that's an emotional attachment. Don't interrupt your enjoyment of life to maximize your real estate transaction. That's not anything I would put on the table for anybody. But I would suggest that now's not a bad time. Uh, if you're thinking about pulling the trigger, maybe pull it a little quicker. Yeah. So, so just flipping that equation to the other side of it, Colin, same person or, or a different individual looking to buy a place. What, what are you recommending today? Well, again, it depends on your expectations. Like, you know, again, I can use my own personal experience and the experience of clients. You know, typically you go through stages. Now, if you've got a young family and you're looking to move into a house for them to go to school, which is what we did. When my son was about to start school, I said, let's find a house that we can stay in while the kids are in school. So you're making a 15 to 20 year commitment, right? Somewhere in that range. So if you're making that kind of commitment, be a little bit wary about the, the finances and things may get a little bit wonky financially. So don't overstretch yourself. But if you can find something that fits that you're going to plan to hold on to for 20 years, the market being high right now probably won't matter a hill of beans. Uh, but you know, you need to make sure that you're not stretching yourself financially at this moment, because again, this is a bad time to stretch yourself financially. An interest rate bump of 1% can make a huge difference in your monthly mortgage payment. And if you go to renew and the house isn't worth as much, it doesn't appraise as high as what you paid for it, you can get in a squeeze. So, you know, with the caveat to be careful to live within your means, buying a property now that you're going to hold for an extended period of time, again, I don't think is poison and, you know, the whole nesting thing and, you know, people want to raise their kids and have a nest and, you know, matrimonial relations are important. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things factor into it. Yeah. Uh, important. I think we, we want to definitely make sure that people are not overextending themselves because we've seen that story play out. And when you're borrowing to put money somewhere and you're overextending yourself, we don't have to look too far back into history, a little bit south of the border to see how that can end very, very poorly for people. So you have to be careful. Like you said, a 1% uh, increase in interest rates can make a big difference. We've seen that. We've seen that almost. We've seen that because earlier this year, I was hearing a 1.5% rate for a five-year fixed mortgage. Today, I'm hearing 2%. Now, all this is secondhand. I can't tell you for sure, but we have seen a pretty aggressive increase in interest rates so far. And if that trend continues, could we be in a jam? Yeah, and the second piece of that, Josh, is something you shared with me earlier this year where the appraised value of the property matters. So people had bought condos in, in Toronto during the condo boom, and then the values weren't quite as high when they came to close. So the institutions were appraising them lower than what they actually owed on them, and people were unable to get any financing to complete the deal. So interest rates are one thing that may change your monthly payment, but you could get into a pickle if all of a sudden your property appraises at less than what you owe on it. And then all of a sudden you've got to come up with a big down payment or have some unsecured lending. You know, again, there's a couple of ways in the short term that this could get a lot tighter. So it's maybe, maybe we're not hitting this with enough emphasis, but there's, there's a big point to be made here. Do not stretch yourself financially to get into a home right now. That is all kinds of crazy dangerous. Yeah, well, just to hit the, the point home a little bit harder, 
on what you're talking about the appraisals. If you pay $500,000 for a place and the bank appraises it at $400,000, they're not going to give you a $450,000 mortgage. That's a way for them to lose money. So they're going to be very, very cautious. Lenders, you've seen uh, a number of the CEOs from the banks come out and say that they're a little bit cautious. They're, they're worried that the market's overheating a little bit when it comes to real estate. So you can bet your ass that they're going to be careful when they're lending you money. And if you can't get the mortgage for the price that you paid, you're going to be in a jam. Or you're going to be digging up those crates of money you have stashed in the backyard, depending on where you live and what your choices have been. It's gold. It's not money, Colin. It's gold, oh, right? Sorry. I keep confusing that. That's that's not my group. I don't run with them. Yeah. So, Josh, maybe we should have a chat because, you know, there's there's talk, there's concern of, you know, changes coming down the pipe. And frankly, a lot of what I've seen is trying to scare people into action, which unfortunately is very effective. If you want someone to act, you just scare them about you know the the potential change in taxation on personal residences because again personal residences right now are are tax free which which makes them you know taste even better but you know there's there's concern over changes what say you to the you know current advantage and perhaps the potential for changes all right so so let me just kind of set the stage a little bit because i think we've been hearing the same things out there and i'm sure a lot of our audience has been hearing the same things as well so a couple potential changes when it comes to tax that will potentially affect your real estate. So first one that we've been hearing is, well, they're gonna tax your principal residence. Right now, your principal residence, when you sell it, any capital gains that you have are exempt from tax. So that's a huge advantage for the majority of Canadians that own their property. And I, just going back to one of the points I said earlier, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people could argue that real estate's always a good investment because it's tax-free. The other big change that we've been hearing about that personally I think is a little bit more realistic is a change on the capital gains inclusion rate. So capital gains, if you have a, a cottage or a rental property, for example, any capital gains on that property will be taxable for you at 50% of the capital gains. So 50% of that capital gain goes on your income tax return, you pay tax on that. There is some speculation that that 50% inclusion rate will be bumped up, whether it's 66 and two thirds where it has been in the past, 75% where it has been in the, in the past. I think it's even been 100% in the past, um, going back uh, you know a few decades. But these are the changes that people are talking about. But as you've made the point to me, people have been talking about these changes for a long time. Oh, I know, and they're gonna take the money from your savings account, and there's gonna be a wealth tax, and there's gonna be an estate tax, and. You know, there's, there's lots of fear mongering because, you know, it's effective. You can get people to listen to you if you tell those stories and you can motivate them to do something that's maybe, uh, you know, what you're looking to do is to motivate them to do something. From a practical perspective, we have a minority government. And if they come in with something either taxing personal residences or increasing your capital gains inclusion rate, um, I think that they probably would, would, would be the ex-government. Um, you know, it'd be difficult to see, you know, Canadians actually putting up with it. And I'm sure somebody in a room somewhere has done that math. Um, but the other thing is typically those changes would come into some kind of grandfathering. So we would have a chance to react to it. Listen, I'm on the record of, you know, of saying, you know, repeatedly, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Certainly don't go out and chop down all your trees because there's a hurricane coming and might blow them down. You know, let's, let's react to what's real. I've seen far more harm be done by people trying to avoid potential tax changes they thought might happen, 
than any benefit from acting early and missing any kind of a tax change that has occurred in my career. So again, it's we're really bad salespeople. It doesn't motivate anybody to say, just sit quietly and let's see what happens. It's not that exciting. And if you're still listening at this point in the podcast, congratulations, you deserve a heart. But you know, again, our, our take on this is, is uniformly boring. Uh, you know, let's not rush. I'm going to sit up and watch the new budget when it comes out, as I always do. And hey, fun fact, when the Minister of Finance stands up to deliver the speech, it all becomes available online at the same moment. So if you can read faster than she talks, you can actually get a preview of the budget ahead of some people. Maybe that was too much sharing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uniformly boring. We might look uniformly stupid in a couple of weeks when uh, the budget comes out and everything that we've just talked about is completely moot. But um, we'll cross we, that bridge when we get there, right? Oh, we can just delete it from the internet, right? That's how it works. Oh, yeah, that's, that's perfect. So, okay, so you're on record saying, well, you know, don't do anything rash before the uh, the changes actually come down the pike, uh, especially if, if you're not planning on, on doing something already. If it gives you that final little nudge over over the, the line, then, yeah, maybe it makes sense to kind of consider some potential tax changes, but certainly shouldn't disrupt all of your plans just because of something potentially happening at some point down the, down the road at some point in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. So great talk, Colin. A uh, lot to cover on the real estate front. I, I think what we should have maybe said at the outset is we're not going to be here projecting whether uh, interest rates or real estate or uh, your family home or your condo is going to go up and down in value. That's not really the point of this. The point is is more so to to give people a little bit of perspective on what else they need to think about when they're trying to make decisions on the real estate. Yeah, we, we, you know, we could have come up with a really good podcast. The three things you need to know about real estate in Canada today. Well, that's that's not us, and that's not true. And if you listen to that, then you're not getting the whole story. Certainly not the bare naked story. Yeah, we're far too naked for that kind of commentary. There you go. All right, so I'm going to say thanks to everybody again for listening this far. And listen, fire out any feedback that you have. If you want to hear other topics of conversation, um, you know, just let us know. We're going to try to feed the audience whatever it wants to hear. Unless you want us to do a whole podcast on Bitcoin, and then Josh will do that by himself because I'm not going to spend that kind of time on it. But, you know, anything short of that, yeah, let's throw it out to us and maybe we'll put something together. Yeah, a Bitcoin podcast might be a lot of fun for us, but people will probably be pretty upset once they, uh, they hear our thesis. Too much cursing. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates.